Okay, it looks like we're live. Let me just double check. Um, okay, yes, we are live. There so, we go. good evening, everybody. Tonight, I'm on with Ask a Coach, and I'm on with Ken Hill, the dude that's like the traveling coach, does wheelies everywhere. Um, he's kind of a data guy now, um, has his own podcast. Ken Hill, what is up, man? I'm so glad to be here, Dustin. Thanks. I mean, I've obviously known you for years. Yeah, uh, we've written we've written a bunch together, which is very cool. And so, yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome to be to be on here. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to start off by like how we met. You know, I I started the Track Days company in 2000. For anybody that doesn't know that, that's that's a freaking long time, man. And you actually were one of my first customers for for probably the first four track days I did at yep. Buttonwillow. Yep. Um, in 2000, and you were um, you were that dude in the Cowie suit, and I guess you owned a Cowie dealership. Yeah. So those were those were so actually I owned the yeah actually trying to think 2000 yeah I mean that was that was back in it and so uh, the 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 long short version of it is I'd. I'd worked in the car business for, at that point, almost 20 years, and I'd worked my way up, and I wanted to I wanted to race cars, and I couldn't afford to race cars, so I raced bikes. And then, as I, I did pretty well in the, um, in the car business, I, I loved it and went from essentially, you know, literally parts driver, parts runner, parts counterman, um, or, or, you know, just worked my way up parts manager, then service manager, service and parts. And then that's actually running dealerships. And so it went pretty well. And so I thought, you know, I'm, I want to, I want to do this for myself. And I was in bikes, of course, at that time. And so I got offered a dealership in the Bay area. It was supposed to be a Yamaha Cowie dealer and Yamaha backed out at the last minute. They went with somebody that, uh, thought they could provide better, a better deal. So we were solo Cowie for almost five years. Uh, we did well in the beginning, and then 9-11 happened. The first the dot-com bust happened, and it was a little bit of survival at that point. But, yeah, we made a go of it for almost five years as a solo Cowie dealer, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was actually pretty cool. Amazing, amazing people that I met. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's – dude, like I didn't really get to interact with you much after that. Um, but I, I do specifically remember that. And I, I suspect because you were kind of like a cheap ass racer, you came to me because I, I was, was just it? starting out because our track days were cheap back then. <laughs> and like, you know, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. Um, no, I get it. I, yeah, I get it. I mean, of course, I mean, we're, yeah, we're broke ass racers. Right. So that's just how, that's just how it goes. Right. And, uh, yeah, back then trying to, trying to pinch pennies as, as much as we could. Luckily I had some good sponsors and, uh, those years were, those years were great, very formidable for me. So I, I really gotta, uh, throw this out here. Um, this doesn't really have much to do with you. Um, it's kind of the reason why you're on tonight instead of next week. But, um, Luke from Coromoto was supposed to be on tonight. So to kind of to kind of give him a little props, I threw one of his wheels up. <laughs> there you um, go. Man, such a nice guy. He's having some trouble with his machines out there. So I hope he gets that sorted. And whenever he's uh, whenever he gets it all sorted, we'll talk about that more. But anyway, going back to what I was saying, is like I didn't really talk to you a whole lot after uh, you were the Cowie dealership guy, right? And um, I didn't really interact with you a whole lot. Um, until 2011 when the Yamaha school 
uh, Yamaha sent me to the Yamaha school to see what was going on. It was we'd had a three day event at. Oh wait a minute! Miller. So that's what was going on? No, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, I see. <laughs> yeah. I see. Yeah, I I, yeah. Cor, Cor, uh, Corbett Jones <laughs> was like, dude, you need to go see what the hell's going on at the school. They're having trouble out there. Whatever. Like, go go find out what's going on. Let me know. You know, kind of thing. And um, so I went out to school. I did three days with you guys, and. It, um, it was you, Terp, um, Schellinger, and um, Nick. Yeah. And, uh, dude, it rained on us for three days. I mean, it was gnarly. And we. it was pr- pretty crazy to see how fast we were able to go on the, on, at Miller in the wet. I mean, it was yep. – I'll never forget that. And since then, you and I have become pretty good friends. And um, – you know, obviously, I've worked with you at the Yamaha School in 2014. Started working with you in 14. I've worked with you a couple of times at Jersey, I think, uh, Indy, I think, yep. and um, I Button Willow, maybe. I'm not sure, but I think, um, we, did a, I think we did a Button Willow like a one day program there. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like, I, but like I said, leading up, that was like oh, that was like 10 years where I didn't know what the hell was going on with you, and like somehow you went from being the Cowie guy to this like. Yamaha champions riding school coach guy like what the fuck happened to you in that <laughs> 10 years that where yeah. you could be like this track takes you know club racer dipshit to being like the lead instructor at the top level school yeah I mean I was super I was super blessed actually in that um I ended up we ended up selling the dealership we knew that that wasn't going to work. Nine eleven, the economy was crappy, and we barely got out of that with the, the you know the skin of our teeth. And so at that point, I kind of never wanted to see another retail client again in my life. Right after after <laughs> dealing with that, and and so I was able to um, a friend of mine, another motorcycle guy, hired me to do some real estate stuff. And so that he's like, he literally said, "We're going to do some real estate stuff. How much is your mortgage? I'm going to pay you to cover your mortgage, and later on, if stuff." That basically my salary was what my mortgage was. So he said, I'll pay you that. And he goes later on down the road, if we develop some stuff, you're going to work on that, that you'll get paid from that. And of course I never did, but it, it, cause the, cause later on, as we went through the years with that, the, the, obviously the real estate uh, thing uh, broke, but that allowed me to, to ride motorcycles and train. And so uh, I ended up being a, a I went enough, I went to the Freddie school, you know, a few times and I was, I got invited back as a guest instructor and I spent, I mean, I spent seven years at Freddy's. So you think about that, right? I mean, we're yeah. talking seven years of being to basically every school where I was a guest instructor, then an instructor. And then, you know, Nick was, Nick was in charge of the deal. And then I kind of got to be one of their lead guys and full-time instructor. So that was a lot of schools and I realizing that I'm not young, right? I mean, I still didn't do my first national until I was age 41. Right. So I didn't, I didn't do a national till 2004 and I didn't have time to waste. And so I took, I sat in on every class. I watched every student's video. I took notes as an instructor. I took it to heart. And at lunchtime, I was out training. So I, I'd go out and it's like, I'm not eating lunch. I'm going to go train. At the end of the day, I have an extra, literally extra 18 minutes. I'm riding. And that's what I did for five years of just being diligent about l- learning. And because at that point, even though I was at the school, there still was a lot of gaps. And because I got into the sport very late, I had to, I mean, I was trying to decode it. And if I got, and Freddie wasn't at every school, but if I got 10 minutes with Freddie, but Freddie, I got, I got, I got to ask you a question. 
and we had Nikki Hayden come to the school at times and I'd literally be like, okay, Nikki, let's, I need to ask you some questions. I don't get something. And so it was just, I mean, it was literally spending five years on my own dime. So people think, oh, dude, you're high paid instructor at Freddy's. That's awesome. No, I, I never got paid. And so I went there in my own flight, my own hotel, my own dime. And I didn't get paid till the last couple of years uh, with Freddie. Uh, but it was sort of my indoctrination to it. And so, yeah, I went from I went from being okay, you know, a decent club racer. I won some championships and did okay to to trying to really elevate my game. And I was I was beyond blessed to be able to hang out with badasses, right? I mean, hanging out with with Nick, you know, and Freddie and, you know, Jeff Haney and Dale Kiefer. I mean, those, there was basically only five instructors at Freddy's in the beginning. I mean, and I ended up being the fifth because they had Andre Castano there as well. I was beyond blessed to hang out with these guys. And the first time, as you're well aware, you see these guys ride stock motorcycles so fast. You're like, what, what is going on? And so that, that, that started that whole thing. And then, yeah, I got, I got some other gigs. Like I did, you know, testing for road racing world for almost 10 years, uh, through that as well. So yeah, there was a bunch of cool things that went with that. And then that's, that's sort of the Freddie days. So the Freddie spent Freddie with the Freddie days, just, to for, uh, the people that don't know their history, uh, that's Freddie Spencer. Um, you could Google yep. him. He was a legend guy. He's that three. He's that three-time world champion. Three-time world champ. But he won two fifty and five hundred Grand Prix in the same season that one year, right? It's insane. Yeah, I think it was eighty-nine, right? So he won two fifty and five hundred in the same year. So think of yeah. a rider winning Moto Two and Moto GP in the same year. It's right. Absolutely unthinkable. What, yeah. What the, so Freddie, Freddie was a legend, and I, I can remember. Um, being in my early 20s and seeing on Speed Vision Freddie's infomercial about his school, and I was like, oh, my God, I could, I'd love to do that. But it was like – I think it was like two grand or something at the time or – I don't know. That sounds about right. I, yeah, it was about you know, right. Yeah, late, 1995, late, something like that. Late, yeah, 97, I think, 98. Yeah. Um, they, had, they had a bunch of Honda F3s or something that they had in the school, and, you know, I was a poor, broke-ass, like, 23-year-old dude. Like, I – I could barely scrape enough money to go to a track day for 150 bucks. I couldn't afford to go to Freddie's school. And um, so I kind of missed the boat on that, unfortunately. But, um, you know, actually, really recently, I, I, was, in, I was in Portugal when Freddie was uh, teaching at, at Champ School. <laughs> so How I weird missed, is that? Yeah. I know, right? I was like, dude. I totally, uh, man, I was like, I was, so at a, I was at a British, yeah, I was at a BSB race in like 2017. I was at a BSB race and freaking Freddie walks in the room. I was in, I'm like, holy crap, there's Freddie. So yeah, yeah we, we, we got to talk for quite a while. So yeah, absolutely wealth of knowledge. I, again, I, I, looking back, I didn't realize how lucky I was to be in that. And yeah, again, I, I, I realized that, I mean, I guess I did at the time because I'm like, I have to do this, right? I have to be there. I have to do this. I have to spend every minute thinking about how do I improve and how do I literally, how do I decode this sport? And that was really the beginning of basically where I'm at now was asking a lot of questions and not, not understanding it, not getting it because I didn't have the background to fall on it. Right. I didn't fall back onto, I, I started writing late. And so, yeah, that's actually what started the journey. Yeah. And you were talking about like what those instructor guys, you know, Haney and those guys were capable of on stock bikes. There's Insane. a story. There's a story going around about Haney, where he'd be like holding the throttle with the opposite hand and 
pointing. Oh, I, yeah, that's easy. We I'm did like, all, we, all, we all did that. <laughs> yeah, that's easy. We all did that. Yeah, dude. That, yeah. No, I, I, my arms, my shoulders are all jacked up. There's no way I could even reach the other. I haven't, I haven't done that for a few years, but yeah, that was something we all, we all messed with. Yeah. The talent of the school, like, you know, again, you know, Nick, and I mean, the talent, Nick, of course, is just incredibly good. Um, Haney, very special talent. Uh, and then, you know, even Dale, right? Dale is just, again, another incredible special talent. Just very, very lucky to be allowed in that circle and be able to improve in that circle. Man. So, okay. So that's your street cred, right? Like, that's how you, yeah. so well, like, street- so you worked really hard at being this guy you know like how you know, talk me through uh quote unquote getting good you know like yeah, you're, so a, you're, a, you're a legit instructor like obviously i mean you you know you fucking travel the country you coach people uh, uh, damn near every racetrack in the country right and you know you, you travel the moto america circuit with people like t- walk me through a little bit because there's um let's just say there's a lot of coaches out there everybody's a coach right so talk me through how to get good. Yeah. So here's the problem is, yeah, I, I obviously have a lot, to, I have a lot to say about this um, is, yeah, I think people like, again, telling my Freddie story, right? I spent seven years at Freddie's five, not getting paid, working my ass off, taking notes and, you know, just immersing myself in this and then not getting it. And then, you know, after the Freddie school ended, uh, Nick and I are like, what the hell do we do? We have this great thing. What do we do? And we were lucky enough to get um, Miller Motorsports Park on board. And then we got Yamaha involved. And so that's where the, we basically, Nick and I, founded the Yamaha Champions Riding School. And so from there, we we knew that we had to step our game up. And, and Freddie had some great stuff. There's no doubt. But Nick and I finally had the opportunity to kind of run with a free hand with some things. And that helped elevate our game. And so... I was with that school for about five years and it was the end of 2009 through about 15, 14 and 15. Um, and we can talk a little bit later how I branched off. And yeah, so I think the problem nowadays is everybody is concentrating on getting great. They think they're great, but they have forgotten that I spent how, I mean, whatever it is, 14, 15 years getting good. And that's the thing that everybody forgets is, you you know you got to put your reps in you don't you don't you don't realize how hard how long that takes and and how involved that process is so yeah we all want to be great but we forget about being good and it takes a long fucking time to get good so yeah i mean it's it is tough and i you know there's there's a lot of report cards that tell you you know if you're if we're where you're at in the in the business and um i'm not i mean i'm not going to sit here and tote my record but it, yeah i've done all, i've done all right well you know what i'm going to add to that too you said something to me um at that first school that i worked at in 14 at jersey and it, i still use this quote today but i wanted you to kind of elaborate on it and talk about what it means to you and but you said something to the effect of if you truly understand something you should be able to explain it in a way that your mom could understand yeah i've used yeah. that a million times since then and it's been like 10 years that's correct so, yeah so yeah, like, i mean it, yeah it, that's, so that's like, exactly tell me it. what tell me what i mean it, it's kind of clear what it means but like what do you mean when you say that like how are you how are you using that are you using that like when, when somebody's trying to explain something like trail breaking, 
for instance. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's say somebody comes up to you. Cause this is the common thing. It's like, Hey, Dustin, you should go through turn two faster. And you're like, yeah, of course I know. I, I need to go through turn turn faster. That's great. That's great advice. Right. But that really doesn't dive into it. So it's being able to distill. Okay. Looking at you go through turn two, where can you improve? Can you improve on the entry? Can you improve on mid corner? Can you can, uh, improve on the exit? Where is your direction base? Where are you releasing the brake? Where are your eyes? Where are your, I mean, there's a thousand different report cards that go in there. So being able to, to distill that down to something very, very simple is, is something that you have to be trained. So for instance, Hey, Dustin, turn two is an exit corner. You're approaching it as an entry corner. You need to get the bike slowed and pointed earlier so you can drive it past the apex. So, I mean, just you have to be able to see that and understand it before, obviously, you can distill it in a way that's very easy for your 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 customer, your client to understand. And this is where, luckily, I've dealt with probably tens of thousands of students at this point, <laughs> and so I have enough experience with this to where. And this is it's really interesting because like going back and thinking about sitting into every single Freddie video session, I sat there through every single one of them. And that's where that comes from, right? Because you have enough reps where you've seen and this, you've seen this. So it's very easy to see what's going on and be able to figure out what they need in a very short amount of time. So yes, you should be able to take something very complex and explain it in a couple of sentences. There you go. Wow. That, I mean, that, you know, what you're saying is pretty much exactly the reason why when when I do work for the school, I, I try and sit in on every time Nick opens his mouth. I mean, the dude loves to talk, but man, you know, and honestly, I've, I've been really impressed with Chris Paris. I mean, that dude is pretty do a great legend. Job. Yep, do a great uh, job. You know, Kyle Wyman always does a great job, easy. Yep. I mean, it's like, man, they are dialed in and, you know, I mean – when they're, they're when they're, they're when they're speaking when yeah. when they're speaking because I'm like the guy that comes in like all, like I'm the fly in dude right I'm not the dude that's like absorbing the material all the time I feel like um, I don't I don't want to use the R word so I'm just gonna be like you know it's like going to a it's like going to a different church and not knowing when to stand up you know what I mean <laughs> like sometimes I'm like dude does Nick want me to say the wrong thing you know. So um, anyway, I, I mean, I'm really impressed with those guys. And so I sit in and absorb that stuff and try to apply that and, and use it to coach myself when I'm struggling uh, on my own program, racing. So, Yep. No, no, that's exactly – well, it's, that's it. So getting back to that is that when you have a clear understanding of what the fundamentals are, it, it makes your job so much easier. So if you understand not only what the fundamentals are, so what you should be focusing on and more importantly – in what order it, it actually makes it very easy, but people don't, they're a lot of times they're, they're looking for the, they're, they're looking to coach the wrong thing at the wrong time for that person. Mm. So that's, again, the experience that I have is again, doing this for, for as many years now as I have been. Um, I have more experience with, 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 um, uh, with more people. So yeah, I've got, I can, I can get, I can reach into my toolbox and be able to figure those things out a little bit quicker. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's just one of those things, you know, it's like, uh, it goes back into the, everybody thinks they're a coach thing. And, um, you know, 
I, I hear some of the stuff some of those guys are saying, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, I heard whoa, dude. Yeah, yeah. I heard something <laughs> like, this weekend that was pretty rough. Uh, go ahead. Well. Throw, let's shit on it. Um, <laughs> I w- I'm not going to name names because he's, he's a great dude. But, yeah, I mean, we were chatting about it, and he was working with somebody, and, and they were he was gapping him quite a bit. And I, I was doing something else working in a different program, and I noticed that he was working with this guy. Not, 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 not to do anything with my program. He's got his own separate program. Anyway, we're chatting afterwards. He says, well, you know, the first, the first step is that, you know, your students should be able to keep up with you. So if the student's not going to be able to keep up with you, then how is he going to learn anything? I just didn't say a word. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, we work with a lot of new guys at the track day, like new riders. They never have seen the racetrack before. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I'm the guy that kind of works with people that are racing and stuff too. So it's, Sometimes it's pretty hard for me to go back and slow things down a bit, but still, I mean, there's no way I would expect that of anybody. I mean, yeah, at the schools, I always wanted to work with the slower riders and I did it. I mean, I know we would switch groups, right? So the first day I typically work with the slow group and then the second day I might work with the faster group. And I always wanted to work with the slower group first because it was a way for me to connect with them and learn how they learn. So, because they have, they've, they don't know a lot. It's like, if I could say an apex and then I might as well be speaking a foreign language to them. So it's having to explain it to them and explain it to them in a way that they could understand it. And then more importantly, go execute what we were trying to do. And that was always a big challenge, right? So that to me was like the ultimate challenge was trying to get through to newer writers in a very short period of time. Right. So going back to what you're saying is being able to distill it and explain it very um, succinctly. Uh, it, I had to do it in less time. And so I was always a challenge for me. And so that's why I think that ultimately has helped me through the years to be able to, again, decode the things and be able to work on my communication technique with it. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my experience, you know, I mean, I, um, I started out doing the MSF thing and I was, I was being an MSF coach three weekends a month so I could pay for racing. And, um, so I developed this style of coach, of coaching and teaching, uh, new riders. And, um, one of the things I've found that helps me out tremendously is it, um, to get people to kind of pay attention, I would, I would kind of without saying, I mean, talk shit to them, basically. I would kind of make them laugh. And like, I, f- I found that if I could kind of give, crack them a smile, they would actually pay attention to the shit that was coming out of my mouth. So I found a lot of success in that. And then, you know, it, because of that, they can kind of relate to me a little bit and they absorb what I'm telling them quicker. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, again, I, well, no, I think everybody connects differently. And I think that is actually the... I mean, that's really the the hallmark of being very good at this is you can know your subject matter, but if you're not a good communicator and you don't understand how the person learns, and again, teaching them one thing is teaching them is one thing, like teaching them the technique, but getting them in a position to ec- go execute it, that's a whole other thing. So everybody learns a little bit differently. So to your point is, yeah, you've got to, you've got to understand who they are. And if you've got to break through that ice, that's, that's what you do. My way I do it is I ask what they do for a living. So I can always try to analogize what they do versus what we do. And there's typically a lot more similarities than you think. Uh, so you can take something in their world 
and you can place it in our world and it makes it the communication just a lot simpler. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I, I do the, I always do the trail breaking thing and I, I describe the driving your car down Sepulveda Boulevard into the McDonald's drive through. Yeah. And dude, I don't know why I use that. I think I think I may have heard that. I may have stolen that from you guys, but um, you know that that seems to resonate with people because they realize that they're trail breaking every day in their car already. Yep. yep. And and it takes that giant pressure off of this subject that supposedly is this like super advanced thing. You know? It's insane, yeah. And I've been doing a lot more car stuff, and in the car world, it's um, it, it, it's it's I can't even begin to tell you how crazy it is in the car world how they they don't teach that, um, and they 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 will die on their sword in some instances not teaching that. It's 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 crazy. So you know what, man? Like before we carry carry on through my notes, I'm just gonna kind of hit some of the comments that we're kind of getting in. Oh boy, um, okay. Yeah, bring it. Yeah, bring it. we got some live comments. First of all, Ludwig says, "Nice shirt, D." Yeah, I'm rocking the Laguna Seca shirt. What? Awesome. Um, let's see, Chris, Chris from P P the Pin the Gas podcast. I think you talked to him yesterday, yeah. dude. He's got a whole bunch of questions, and I think he stole <laughs> some of them from the commenters on my original Facebook post. But I'm just gonna roll it down, like, um, you know, what's your favorite corner? on the track favorite corner on any track yep, yep. um yeah I don't, actually i don't know if i have a favorite corner per se i have a favorite track road america uh road america is my favorite track and so then if i had a, if i had to pin any favorite corner at road america mm, probably either it'd either be canada corner or turn five um, it's just because you're blast. It's just old school badass, right? You're blasting through the cheese. You're clicking gears. It's three dyno pulls a lap, right? I mean, you're just, and you you've got to go down there. Five, you can't see it. Canada corner, you can't see it, and you're just you're on the stick, right? And so you're just it's just old school six gear badass. So Road America for sure. Turn five, Canada corner. That's awesome, man. You know, it's funny. I was on with Stefano Mesa last night. He said damn near the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, said, I mean, he said yeah. Road America was definitely his favorite in America it's just, just because it's so fast. It, it's just amazing. I mean, it's just every everybody in their life should go to Road America and do go there. You just should. And even if you're not even if you're not racing, just go to a track day on a rental bike. It's just it's that worth it. So and of course, it's being repaved this year. So I'm completely jacked to, yeah. uh, to go to go do it. Yeah. I mean, in Portugal, I was. Um, I was, oh, walking, I was walking oh. around with Jake and we ran into Laura Baz and Baz would not shut the fuck up about Road America being repaid. Oh, he was yeah. so, he was like, dude, I want to fly over there and race it. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, it's that good. Yeah, you know, it's that good. So, I mean, it's, um, it, it, I, I want to ride there now. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is epic. And that's one nice thing because I do get to ride a lot of different tracks. So that part of it is pretty cool. So. All okay, right, what else so what all right, so um, you know what? I'm I'm gonna save a couple of Chris's questions for later because there was a bunch of in the in the comments that I'm saving for later. But uh, bearded Jixer, he's actually one of our CRA racers. Um, dude's an amateur guy, races a GSXR, obviously. Um, what would you recommend someone new to club racing 
one-on-one uh, -on -one with instruction with a coach or go to a race school like YCRS or Superbike school? Yeah, so the way that I look at it is, you know, I, I think – I think any education in this realm is great, right? So you can go to CSS, you can go to YCRS, whatever it is, because I, I think any time that you get perspective on the sport is very important, and regardless, right? So I think going to any one of those places is, is awesome. I think if you haven't had any formal education in, in, in track riding, whether it's track riding or racing, whatever, I'll just umbrella it there. Honestly, I think a school is great. And I think because you get a lot of information in a very short amount of time and it's a nice overview. And I think you get to hear all these different aspects and you, you get to experience a lot of different things in a short amount of time. You're not going to perfect them, but you get to hear all of it. So I'm kind of a fan of the school thing for your first overview. And then once you realize, Oh, I need more work on X, Y, or Z, then you can, you can look at, you can look at one-on-one -on -one stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of one on one pro guys now that are doing it. I mean, I know Tony Elias is doing a good job doing that. Jake Zimke, Josh Hayes is doing yep. some one on one stuff. Heron's doing some one on one stuff. And then you know, ding, right? Uh, I mean, there's there's just a bunch of dudes doing that. Um, you know, so yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great, right? I mean, I think that I mean. So to back up, to back up a little bit, Pridmore can't leave yeah, him JP, out. Yeah, JP does a great job, right? So I think, first of all, is I think training in this this, I think training in this discipline is insanely important. And I'll tell you a couple couple little stories. One story for sure is I mean, you have to remember this is not volleyball, this is not bowling. <laughs> Could you imagine, well, hang on, could you imagine rolling a gutter ball and you're like, sorry, we got to break your collarbone. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, it, the consequences wow. are too high. I'm going to, I think I just made my new t-shirt. Yeah. I mean, this isn't bowling. <laughs> yeah, it's not, I mean, yeah, again, it's just the consequences are, are too high. You have not only your life in your hands, you have other people's lives in your hands. And it's just, it, 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 the consequences are too high to not get trained. I was talking years ago, I was talking to my special forces guy that I'm very blessed to have a great advisory board that, that I deal with. And one of them is a top special forces trainer and, uh, he, he rides. And so he's just like, I, he goes, I can't believe the, <laughs> the level of no training. He goes, you can buy a BMW 1000 and he goes, you just do whatever. And he goes, that's, he goes to us. That's, in, that's insane. And yeah, I mean, so there's, there's a lot of good stories that, uh, that, that we can talk about with that, but yeah, get training, absolutely get training. And, um, you know, that's, if, if, if you get to train with me, that's awesome. But if not, there's a lot of great guys out there, but the bottom line is get educated because this sport has consequences and you can get in, in, in a blink of an eye, your life changes. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty uncompromising with that. So Brian Green is asking, you know, beyond working with Freddie Spencer, is there anyone else that you would love to work with and train with? Work with or train with? Um, yeah, I mean, I've done a little bit of work in Grand Prix. I'm not a lot, but I've done a little bit in Moto2, and I would love to get back there. So, I mean, if an opportunity for, for Grand Prix came up, I would, I would, I would take it. Um, if the right opportunity came up, I would, I would take it because I know – I still am in contact with people over there and 
how things are done there are a little bit different than, than how we deal with things here in the U.S. So is there, is there a person, I mean, is there a person that I want to work with here in the U.S.? Um, I mean, honestly, not really. It, it's, it, and, and the reason I say that is because I, I'm, I have enough, of, I have enough uh, people that I can deal with on a daily basis that um, provide me with a lot of information. So it's not just one person. Like, I mean, I, ha I mean, don't, I mean, it's not like I'm perfect, right? I have to, I have to run stuff by other people. I have my own little board that I, I talk to. I ask people, is this right? Does this sound like bullshit? Um, or even on the data side, right? I'm in the infancy on in my data stuff. I'm, I'm decent on the writer side on data, but understanding the bike side of it. So I'm working with people that I trust. I, I, I have my known references. My, my, I have my um, trusted source that I use, for instance, on suspension and, and data. And then I'm learning, uh, and actually the car world has been really good for this since my, I've been opened up to the car world. Um, there's a lot of great stuff in the data side on, on car world. They're, they're way ahead of us uh, in, in that realm. So yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to get over to Europe because there's a lot of cool things over there that they're doing. But there isn't one person that that stands out um, that I'd 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 want to work with. I kind of I mean I kind of want to experience everybody to a degree. But wow, I mean you know I have I have in my notes about data you know because I've I've uh, lately I've kind of seen you at Moto America events working with the writer and I, I wasn't sure if you were like that dude's coach or if you're like they're like I think I saw you looking at data so. As a coach, like, how, describe to me how you can look at the squiggly lines in the data and tell the guy if you know what he needs to so do to go I faster was, or whatever. Like, yeah, how, do you, so, how do you translate data into lap time? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, and that, go. We, we could. <laughs> yeah. Geez. Okay, everybody, pull up, pull up a chair. Um, yeah. So, on the writing side of it, I mean, I started out with data being video and video. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of work into this video is data, right? So we, we typically use uh, video as our first point of contact or first point of reference with, with data. And I mean, video right now, I mean, video is still the number one thing that we they start with. We start with video. And because if we don't know where the right the bikes in the right spot, all these different things, and then the stuff really doesn't matter. So we start with the video and then, you know, we, so we actually stayed pretty analog for, for quite a while and we didn't start really bringing quote data in until, I mean, there were some things, you know, Freddie would show us some data things or talk about some data things, but we just never really had that. We had, we never had that opportunity. So it wasn't until I would say, yeah, I mean, it was probably 2000, it was about 10 years that we started working with some just GPS speed-based data. And uh, then as we kind of worked on that a little bit at, at YCRS a little bit, and then I really branched off in that when we started doing the RIC program and that we were very heavy into data uh, there. So I spent years working with data there. And then we had the RIC professional race team for three years. Um, I was beyond blessed to work with some amazing, amazing crew chiefs and amazing data guys. And so 
One thing that they had, they didn't have the opportunity with, which I sort of fell into this role, and this actually happened when I was over in, in, in Europe as well, is there's a lack of interpretation <laughs> between the writer and the data. And this is one thing that I think Stamboli does. Uh, I don't think there's anybody but Stamboli. Uh, Ed Sullivan's also incredibly good with it, but... Marshall. I mean, Darren Marshall. Yeah, I don't know Marshall all that well, Dude, but... Marshall is... I mean... Darren Marshall's a beast. Uh, honestly, well, Richard Richard will sit back and let Marshall handle it. Yeah, dude. I don't know yeah. Marshall that well, but 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 in, so in like for instance in Europe they would say, you know, there'd be two guys going over data and then they go, okay, break later, and it's like, okay, you know, great. How do you the, the what to do is very easy, the how to do it was always the problem, and so when I got involved in the Rick program and I started being part of the of the downloads, I ended up developing my own download system. So we. We would download the bike, but then we would actually have a separate download sheet for the rider. So we actually have a download sheet for the rider and the things that they're doing fundamentally. And we could cross those things. So we would find, we could reconcile those together and we would find out, well, for instance, um, Hayden was always a great one. Hayden Gillum was always a good one where um, Hayden would, back, back in the day, Hayden would grab too much front brake too quickly. And a lot of it was because he was too tense on his arms. So we'd ask him, you know, fundamentally, what are you doing with your body? How's your, all the, those questions. And we'd find out, he's, ah, I'm riding really tight. So it's like the bike actually is not a problem. It's, it's you, or there's times where the bike would be a problem. So what I ended up being able to do is being an interpreter for, for both sides of it. And that really shortcutted a lot of, um, setup. So we could we could we could work on the rider or we could work on the bike. And there's times where the rider was great and we needed to work on the bike. There's times the bike was great and uh, we needed to uh, we needed to work on other things. So yeah, I mean, so anyway, that getting into it, that's sort of how we got into it, and I got pretty entrenched with with that. So I'll I'll leave it there because there's 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 more on the Moto America side if you want to talk about that. But that's sort of the data part of it. Okay, I mean, you know. There, there is a guy that um, commented um, on the Facebook thing, and I'm just going to throw this in there. Like, uh, when you're talking to the writer and he's saying he's, uh, he's tense, like, could it be something as simple as his suit fitment? So we actually – so, yes. To answer that question, yes. But we actually have to teach our writers how to download. Okay. So it's not as simple, right? So you see, you know, guys, crew chiefs sitting there with their clipboards and doing stuff. In our case, our writers, we, we actually teach them how to download because if the writer comes in and well, a lot of times the writer will come in and we actually want to capture their emotion. It could be the bike is shit, or it could be the, it's the best fork I've ever had, right? We actually want to capture that because that helps us shortcut where we need to go look at the data. So after we get their initial emotional response, we're like, go chill, <laughs> go relax. Let me get in ready to download. Let me look at the data and then we can have a conversation. But we have to teach them how to download, meaning we actually teach them. And typically we've actually, most of the time, like in the Rick program, we would teach them in a car how to download, meaning we would take them through, this is what initial fork travel is. This is what the bottom of the fork is. This is what turn in is. This is what mid corner is. And we would develop their feel references. So when we downloaded, we download via our sheet and we would do it in each one of these segments. 
So it made it made it a lot easier. And to the point of he asked about his suit being tight, we have a gear question that we ask mm. um, because that is something that has been a problem more than more than once. Uh, gloves are another one. Your gloves are too tight. So arm pump. So there's a lot of things that that happen with that. So we actually ask those questions because we've been through them so many times. Yeah, I mean that. Like I've I've had issues over the years with different suits and stuff and. You know, I come in, I I'm, I go straight to Ludwig, you know, the Mythos guy. And I'm like, what the fuck? I can't bend my... And he's like, hang on a second. Pull, changes out the elbow armor or yep. move, moves it or something. And all of a sudden, I can do what I got to do. Yeah, you got to be able to And it's like move. instant, you know? So um, that totally makes sense, man. That totally makes sense. All right. So let's see. Let's go back to where I'm at here. All right, so you talked about the Rick program a little bit. Um, Rick Diculous, that was that uh, that was that school that was run by the uh, the uh, Crown Royal dudes, right? Yep. Yeah. So, yep. like, tell me a little bit about that. I know it was you and Terp, right? Like, no, I mean, well, so I mean, it started off where I mean, I was at Shane was Turpin. At That's who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at the, I was at the Yamaha school. And, you know, things were going okay there. And I had an opportunity to, to go to work for the Bronfmans and they said, Hey, we want, we want, again, I love the Yamaha school. Those guys are great. I think they're awesome. They're, they're amazing. But they said, we want, if, if this is the highest level of training there is, we want higher. We want you to do that. And I'm like, I'm in. So they gave me the opportunity to really develop things at a much sharper, at a much sharper, um, uh, level. Right. And so they basically, they wanted to learn how to ride. Um, and they ended up being incredibly great riders. It was pretty cool to see their, their development. They did an amazing job and they, they started off just doing one-on-ones with them and they said, Hey, you know what? Let's bring in some people for a school. And we started doing the schools and the schools were, were fantastic. And that gave us basically gave me free reign to run things how I wanted to and learn the things that, that I wanted to. And then we were starting to, they, I started, they wanted to bring in some athletes, like some pro riders. So then I was already working with JD beach. Um, so I brought in, you know, we brought in JD, he got to ride with us and we got to up his game and his training. And then they decided they wanted a race team because they liked that idea. So that's where the Rick race team sort of uh, got developed. So yeah, it ended up being a great program where we could be at the sharpest point that we possibly could be. And that was awesome. I mean, that was, uh, I was again, very, very lucky to, to be in a position where uh, I could take the ball and run with it. And now you kind of do your own thing up in Washington, right? Like you've, you like pulled up the stakes and like are doing yeah. your, you're, well, living in, so, you're, you're living in Washington now. Is that right? Yeah. Or, well, where I live is very complex. Well, t- we can talk about that in a minute. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little complicated. Um, but yeah, after the Rick program, uh, went away. So basically at the end of 19, 2020 went away and, uh, I, I needed a hub for what I do. And I had planned on sort of, uh, I, at that point I've already been doing a lot of writing. So I'd been doing a lot of writing and writing all these things down, which, um, we can talk about the motopilot program at some point, if you want, it's a whole, it's a whole other topic or we can talk about it now. It's up to you, but yeah, the, the, let's talk about it, dude, roll with it. So 
I would say it was quite a while ago. It was about seven or eight years ago. One of my guys on my advisory board happens to be um, he was <laughs> he's a, he's a Top Gun pilot, and so he's not only a Top Gun pilot; he was a three star general. And um, he took me aside at one of the schools that he went to, and then we started doing some stuff one on one with him. He took me aside, and he goes, "Ken, I'm doing what you're telling me to do because I trust you." But he goes, "You got to write this shit down." And that was a real kick in the ass for me. So basically, this is this is probably eight years ago. I literally said, "Okay, if this guy's telling me that, I better get my shit together." And that literally led to me carrying a notebook with me, and you know our you know our little wonderful little fanny packs that we had, and uh, and I literally would go, "Oh crap, we just did that. Hang on," and I would write it down, and that became really. It took me two years to complete that list. And at the end of the day, what a lot of people don't see at the schools or they, they'd see at the RIC program, at the end of the day, all the instructors get together and we'd download, right? We'd actually have a debriefing of how everybody did, what we could do better, whatever, whether it was, whether it was setting cones better, whatever it was, right? We would debrief and we would go over these objectives. What did you teach your student? Wait, how did you, how did you get him to do that? I'm writing that down. And that led to me then putting these in order. And then eventually I wrote, um, six guides and there, we needed a, we needed a name to call this program. I call it, um, I call it moto pilot program. And this is sort of in reference to, um, uh, my top gun pilot. And he was, he was generous enough to where he actually gave me access to at that time was the current, um, uh, commandant of the top gun program. I actually got to meet with him and talk to him and he showed me how their, how their syllabuses run and showed me how their programs ran, and I said, I'm doing that. So the Motopilot program is based on essentially what the Top Gun program, how they teach, the order they teach, and that's where my, my program is headed. So I needed, a, I needed a home for this. And when I moved up to Washington State, um, I'd gotten divorced, moved up to Washington State, and um, found a place, a little hole-in-the-wall cabin up by the ridge, and um, ended up buying into a track day company up there called Track Time. Okay. And so half owners of Track of Track Time up there. And through through the last three or four years, we've started putting together this Moto Pilot program. We're actually doing our first school this year. So that's a little plug for our Track Time school. But what that was is, it was a way for me, honestly, to train instructors. So I've got again amazing group of people up there. I've got a great partner. Alan's awesome. And we've embraced this program with training. So we run a higher end track day. It's more expensive, but we limit it to 30 per group. Um, we've got rental bikes, but you've got basically there's no excuse to get instruction if you want instruction, meaning you can get a half day, you can get a full day with kind of like a um, apprentice instructor, or you can get somebody that's one of my called master motopilot instructors that's gone through my training. I mean, they're a certified training program. So we've, we've got guys that are available for that. And it's honestly, it's gone, it's gone. Well, we, we sell out with our instruction instruction pretty much, um, every day. So track time is basically a hub for everything that I'm doing. We're going to have our first school this year. Um, and yeah, there's actually some other online stuff that we can talk about too, but that's, that's sort of what their motor pilot program came about. It's a, it's a pretty rigorous little deal. So anyway, so, uh, I'm going to transition to another uh, Facebook comment. Uh, oh, from I'm a, sure. I'm it's sure, a yeah. club racer. Um, he actually raced with us at Laguna at the 
CRA round back in June, uh, Chris Wilcox. He's that dude that races the R6 up there. Um, he's one of my he's, – he's on our staff, yes. Oh, is he? Yeah. yeah. So Chris, Chris you know, is awesome. He says he's fortunate to get plenty of time to chat with you, um, but – you know, possibly some fun conversation topics. You know, apparently you like to do two up rides, and he can say that from experience that's it, that it's an illuminating, illuminating experience. What's the craziest one you've done as a passenger and as a pilot? So first on two up rides is yeah, what two up rides are about actually are, are to develop feel references. So yes. that's another thing, people, that, that one of the things that I developed a few years ago is feel references um, because everybody's thinks writing of, that down. You should. I've got a podcast on that. So, so because everybody is um, used to visual references. So we develop feel references, and that's really what a two-up ride is about because people don't understand what the limits of grip are or how much far the bike can lean over. So. Two-up rides, what we do them are not crazy. They're to develop feel references. So I would say, let's see. The, oh, I, I, I have two that were the craziest. Um, so, Please tell uh, me it's one, Scott Russell. No, I never rode in the back with Scott. Shut wrote, up. No, you didn't? No, I never did. Oh, no, I never did. God damn it. I rode in the back with Freddie twice. Okay. And honestly, that was, so that was a blessing. That was kind of a cool thing because I rode with Freddie pretty early. And honestly, that was like, I want that. Whatever he's doing, I want that. And you know, one of the things I say about Freddie's two-up ride was you went fast, but he was never in a hurry to go fast. You just, you just suddenly went fast. And it was unbelievable. And I said, I want to do that. And again, my later years at, at – um, and I, I really worked hard for that. And at the end of – at the last two or three years at Freddie's school, I was the one that did all the two-up rides. So that was a real – that was like a real big thing to me to get the blessing from Freddie to do two-up rides because he wasn't doing them at that point. So yeah, I didn't, so I did, I did them with Freddie. So the, the, the two craziest ones were, we were doing a back to the track at the Harley Davidson thing in Vegas. And I had a guy 380 pounds and, uh, he was, uh, quite a, quite a, uh, biker type of a dude. And so yeah. he's like, I'm getting a two up ride. And, uh, yeah, we did a two up ride. He weighed 380 pounds, got on the bike at freaking bottomed out. And, uh, yeah, we did it. So that was one. The other one was, um, at Carolina Motorsports Park during Yamaha school, um, I had a guy that Nick convinced to do a two-up ride, and this guy was completely freaked out. Uh, we made it halfway around the track before he was pounding on my back, and he wanted to stop. And, I mean, I mean, he wanted to stop. He was – he couldn't deal with it. So we actually ended up – we actually ended up pulling over because, you know, we rented the track, and it yeah. wasn't that big of a deal. We pulled over. And yeah, he, he said that was the most terrifying thing he's ever done. And I swear we never went over 45 miles an hour. Oh my God. But, but yeah, anyway, I ended up getting him back on and it went okay. But yeah, pounding on my back, that was a, that was a good one. Um, trying to think what else. I did a two up with you at, at uh, Miller in 2011. Yeah. And you actually gave my dad one before he, you gave me one. And then later in the day or later in that three days, you're like, Charlie, do you want to, you tell my dad, you're Charlie, you want to go for another ride? And he's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I did a ride with you at the, the smaller track at Jersey, but I, I did one with Scott Russell on the big yeah, track. Those are, those are another, legend, Scott, legend. Scott is, yeah, Scott's, there's some good stories with Scott to a bride. So Man. the people that are the people that inner circle, there was a story of uh, Scott at Laguna Seca with a, with a gal and uh, he was giving somebody's girlfriend a ride 
and this was Bradley Smith was there. So we were working with Bradley Smith actually had come to the school and, um, it was the end of the day and, you know, so he gives this girl a ride. And so Scott gives her a couple laps going good. And she goes, Oh, that was great. I just thought it would be faster. And to say that to Scott Russell, it was, it was when Scott like flicked his helmet down. I mean, I don't know how fast we were going, but I, Bradley was on an R1. I was on an R6 and Nick was on an FC1. Nick got dropped in two corners and, you know, Scott's on an R, Scott was on an R1. Bradley's hanging on by the skin of his teeth and I'm back there hanging on to Bradley and Scott is in front of us on a two up ride. And that it was, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. So that was the real Scott Russell. You know, I'll tell you what, man, like what you were saying is, uh, you know, when Freddie gave you the ride, it, that, I kind of had that same reaction with Scott Russell's ride because, you know, I noticed some things about that ride, about the way he handles a motorcycle. And the biggest thing I took away from that, and I still talk about this to this day, like I, I will never forget it. I have fucked up memory, but I will never forget that. How slow his hands were. Yep. How deliberate his movements were. And I've tried to apply that to my program. You know, I, I do like 200 plus two up rides a year now. And another thing to add, you said it was an honor for Freddie to allow you to be the guy. Yep. Dude, I had the same moment when Nick told me to yeah. do it. Yeah. I was yeah. like, he's like, hey, dude, because I'm the dude, right? Like, I'm, I know I say dude a lot, whatever. Um, but Nick was like, hey, dude, like, this is school's don't, program, right? Like, don't cock this Don't be up. a dickhead out there. I'm like, <laughs> no problem, yeah. coach, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, actually, little... I, I've, got a, I've, got a lot of, I've got a lot of data with Scott when he rode with us at the Rick program. We have a lot of data. And his – it was shocking. His initial throttle, slower than everybody's. Like, his pickup, that first 5 to 8%, slower than everybody's, and then click. It, so his throttle pickup was absolutely, absolutely amazing. Yeah, just he's Scott Russell, dude. I mean, incredible. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I'm going to add to this. You know, Stefano Mesa last night was talking about, like, the first and last 5%. Yep. You know, and how important do you think that is with regards to, like, brake and throttle, you know, application? Like, um it's everything, <laughs> you know, I mean, clearly yeah. it's maybe more important on something that like makes a lot of power, like one of those like torquey e-bikes like Stefano has been riding or like a thousand, maybe a 600, not so much, maybe a little bike. But then again, you know, talk about that. Yeah. So when I was thinking about how to communicate braking to people, I, this is something that I actually spent, a, literally spent two years learning how to communicate braking. Because it's, it's, it's one of the biggest um, performance aspects that we go through, right? It's honestly, it's, it's pretty easy to get a bike off a corner. I mean, reality is, right? It is. Where is a lot of the time to be made up and what is the hardest on the, on the entry? So I spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. And there's days that I would be literally at lunchtime, Las Vegas inside road course. And I'd be like, okay, what is the whole, what if I just use lighter brakes everywhere? Okay, that doesn't work. Okay, what if I just use hard brakes everywhere? Okay, that doesn't work. So, like, I mean, I'm trying to literally figure this out, and it took me a couple of years to figure it out. And so, in, in we want to be in a position to adjust for every corner radius, right? So, not every brake, not every corner has the same um, brake graph, right? Not the same brake application, 
meaning the, the graph itself. But how you go to the break and how you release the break should be the same so you have the ability to get to the braking pressure that you want. And at at a at a lower performance level, you're 5%, right? The initial brake squeeze, which helps transfer weight to the front, helps load the fork, helps gain energy to the tire, compress the carcass. You can, you know, you can spend some time doing that. Of course, as you go faster, that 5%, it's still there, but it's milliseconds. So if you look at some of my brake graphs, or I mean, I've got JDs and Haydens and Skulls, I've got all those guys' as data. There's still a, a millisecond of squeeze before they build into pressure. Because if you, if you, let's say, if you grab the brakes at eight bar, for instance, I'm just making that up, but it's a six bar corner, you're not getting that two bar back. No. Or, or if it's a, if it's a 12 bar corner and you go to eight and hold it at eight, now you're late to your 12. So being in a position to where you can use the brake initially and then use your eyes and depth perception to build to the pressure that you want, that's the, that's the magic. So by respecting the first 5%, it allows you to adjust for whatever your upcoming situation is. The, the, the last 5%, and that's the same thing on the throttle, right? Because if, let, think about this. I'm like busted. I'm like in my head, I'm like, yep. <laughs> yeah, so, so, and this is, this was, I mean, this goes, the throttle thing actually goes back to where I, I, I we had Nikki come to the school a few times and I, I would spend my lunch watching Nikki lap. And it, I, then, you know, he would stop and go, how'd that look? You know, I'd be like, and of course I'm like, who am I to tell Nikki who just won the world championship, how that looks. And so, but I was able to talk to him and figure out what he was working on and why. And those were some really good, those were some great moments as well. But on the throttle first 5%, you think about it, you're adjusting for the upcoming situation. If, if you like, if you use Buttonwillow as a great example, right? So Buttonwillow last corner your first 5% is fairly short because you're building the throttle and you get the full throttle because it's a shorter radius corner. You can't do that in the sweeper. You can't no. do that in turn two. So if, and here's the thing though, if you go from, from say zero to 20, you've lost direction, you've transferred weight. So the initial pickup is, is, is huge with the throttle. Now on the opposite end, the last 5%, the last 5% is what gives you the ability to have precision at the end of say braking. Like you, your, your precision with, with direction comes from how you release the brake at the end. And again, it's radius dependent. Even how you release the throttle in certain situations is massive. I mean, we worked on this. I remember Valentin DeBeast was always one on this because when I worked with Valentin, he, the Suzuki's had very poor engine braking at that time. And so there was tracks where we would deliberately work on how he rolled off the throttle. So he'd be his own form of engine braking. So it's, it's massively important on, on some particular corners. Dude, that guy was a beast too. Like, I can't even imagine that dude like struggling, you know? Like <laughs> No, Val Valentin. Yeah. I mean, Valentin was awesome. I loved, I mean, as, as far as coaching guys, I coached Valentin for a couple of years and I really enjoyed working with him mainly, mainly because, uh, <laughs> him being French was always great because his first answer to, you would tell him something that goes, he, his first response to no matter what it was, was you're wrong. That was it. Didn't matter. You're wrong. So then you'd have to go <laughs> in and explain. It doesn't matter. It's like the sky's blue. No, you're wrong. 
it's it so you'd have to then go and explain everything which was great it was a challenge for me to to be able to do that and I was lucky enough actually to get work to work with Valentin at the end of 2019 he came to one of the last Rick deals and I got to work with them for a couple of days at Miller and there was there was one thing that I wanted to work with him the whole time that we never got to and I got to work on it and uh, it's funny I got a message from, well it's been a while I got a message from like a year ago and he says that was that was one of the best breakthroughs that he ever had so it was it was very cool so I I enjoy Valentin he's very much a professional and uh, and he gets it so, you know what, uh, based on what you just said, you know, you've worked with a lot of guys, you know, I mean, I know, I know that you worked with Hayden and JD Beach, and I think you worked with Gagne a little bit back in the day when he was still the Red Bull Road Race Factory R6 yep, guy. Yep, yep. Um, so, like, how many, how many top guys have you worked with? Um, yeah, I mean, so, I And guess, who's your um, favorite? Oh God! Now they're all they're all great. So they're <laughs> Shut all great. The fuck up. There's well, there's some, there's there's some that yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we were. I worked actually. Yeah, Canfield got me. My Canfield got me hooked up with um, uh, Gagne back when he was battling Bobier back in the day, and so on six hundreds. And so I worked with with Jake for a little bit. Uh, worked with Cam Cam a little, just a little bit, not very kind of unofficially. Um. JD was an interesting story because Canfield went to go work with JD in 2015 and they were testing in 14 and Canfield calls me up from Thunder Hill and he's like, you got to work with this guy. And uh, he sent me a video. I said, put a camera on his bike and put, you know, puts a camera on his bike. And, and, um, I said, uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta work with this guy and I could see some easy things to improve. And, uh, he won the championship in 15. So that was kind of cool. Um, did a little bit of work with Gerloff, not much, but a little bit of, they, Yamaha actually asked me to do a little bit of work with Gerloff. Um, didn't, we didn't do a lot together, but did a little bit of work with him. Um, we had Skoltz out to some of the Rick, the Rick programs. We had Skoltz out there. Um, obviously Hayden Gillum, uh, did some work with Aguilar, um, Nick McFadden, Jake Lewis quite a bit. We did a lot of stuff with Jake Lewis. I'm a big fan of Jake Lewis. So yeah, kind of, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's on the top end. That's Elena Myers. Elena, yeah, I forgot about Elena. Come on, man. Yeah, actually, oh my God, Elena's awesome. Yeah, I was, I was, um, that was another one. Super, super lucky to work with, uh, to work with Elena, um, and got to work with her during some of her, some of her success. What a great, oh my God, still be like, I can remember getting taken out by her at Stockton on little mini bikes too. Yeah, she punted me and Dave Stanton off the track. That was awesome. Oh wow. Um, yeah, that was fun. But yeah, Elena's still another one that. To this day, she could probably outdrive just about ninety nine percent of the people on a motorcycle. Her exits were so good. So, yeah, wow. Elena was awesome. So, yep. And and you know, of all those great people that you worked with, you know, you've probably stacked up like a massive amount of podiums and championships. Oh right? yeah, and then a Val yeah, Valentin de Beast as well. Uh, and then yeah, there's some other guys on. I mean, I did some work with the M4 guys. Um, we were doing a little bit of a program with those guys, so we did some stuff with the M4 M4 guys. Um, yeah. So on the Moto America side, I think um, it's around 145 podiums. No shit. So yeah, 145. You're just podiums. not some dude on, off Craigslist uh, teaching people, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of guys. I mean, there's some good code. There's some good guys out there that are working with you know Zemke and JP and those guys. But um, yeah, 145 podiums. So I'm I'm pretty happy with that, considering it's you know it's actually all fairly recent. Um, so I'm 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 pretty stoked with that um, 
with that number. So yeah, not an easy, not an easy uh, deal to, to kind of have to work with the guys, you know, working with people up to that last 1% is one thing, but you're trying to work with guys to the last 0.01%. And there's, there's a big difference between 1% and 0.01%. So, well, I mean, you, you can see it, right. You could see it on Superbike weekend, right. Where you, you've got a couple of guys that are just right there, but they're just that like 0.1% off or 0.01% off, Yep. you know, and I mean, if they can't get that, they're never going to beat Jake. Right. I mean, so, you know, like Matt Skoltz is right there a lot of the times, but he's just a little bit off and that little bit off, it, it, it looks like a little bit off on paper, but over the course of several laps that, that little tiny bit becomes four or five seconds. Right. Oh, for sure. Right. I mean, you're, you're, those guys are battling for tenths of a second or hundreds of a, hundreds of thousands of a second. So it, it's because all of that adds up, right? If you end up, like you just said, if you end up, you know, 0.2 every lap, well, you know, there you go on a 20 lap race. So yeah, it makes all, let's put it this way. Everything matters. <laughs> everything matters. I mean, whether it's, you know, how you're using your eyes, your brakes, your whatever, right? There's all those, all those different things matter. And I think that was actually one of the big takeaways that I, we, we developed or I helped develop at the BRIC program is we, we really think of riders differently. And this is something that when I, you asked me like, what was I doing between 2000 and 2011 is I tried to think like a professional athlete. So this is a sport like any other sport. You can be learned, right? And that's a problem that we have a we have a little bit, which is you think that, well, you know, my dad didn't ride dirt bikes or I don't have big enough balls or whatever it is, I'm not gonna be that good. When the reality is, if you treat it like a sport and you're disciplined like a professional athlete, I I truly believe anybody can do this. I really do. If they understand the fundamentals and they're disciplined in their training. I absolutely positively believe anybody can do it if they stick with the deal. And that's why I developed, you know, the program that I, that I have. And trust me, there's a lot of guys that I've worked with that probably should not be riding a motorcycle, but they've stuck with the program and they're pretty damn good. They're incredibly competent uh, because of it. So you're not talking yeah. about me, are you? Uh, well, <laughs> you told me you want, what is it? You want, I don't know, 46s or something at Buttonwillow, whatever I, the hell it is. I think I'll be able to get it. Honestly, I, you know, I do remember you, um, I, I had broken my back in 2018 and I, I built a new bike. I came back that fall and, you know, I was really frustrated. I was struggling and you're like, Hey D how's it going? Like you fucking knew I was struggling. And you I went, saw you on track. I wrote, went, I was out you there with you. You poked me. And yeah. um, just to kind of get my reaction. And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of sucking, man. Like, it's just not getting together. And he's like, well, dude, stop riding like a little bitch. Like, you're turning in early there, there, there. Like, what the fuck do you think is going to happen with your lap time? And immediately I was like, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I watched one of my videos or something from the year before. And boom, I was right back. You know, I was like within a couple of tenths of my fast time. So. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing, right? When you have fundamentals to fall back onto, it actually takes the emotional part out of it, right? right? It's like if you fall down, right? Nobody wants to fall down, but falling down happens. And so separating the emotional part from the technical part, it's like, okay, I fell down. I don't want to do that again. So instead of being like, well, 
I hope I don't fall down or, you know, thinking you're going to ride scared. How about being better at mitigating the problem with better technique? It's that yeah. simple. So, yeah. So, okay. Um, there's, there's a couple more things. I mean, Jesus, dude, like there's a bunch of comments coming in, but I'm going to go back to some of Will Cox's comments. Because Fire away. They Fire were, away. They were good, dude. So, um, you know, and there's another guy that asked basically a similar question, but you know, how do you, like, how do you transition from being this like bike coach guy, um, that's really good at that to working with car guys. And then how do you transition a car guy to being a motorbike guy? You know? So, yeah, it's funny because I'm, I'm super blessed to be working with the blaze program racers 360. I work on work, work. Dion von Molke called me a few years ago and Dion's a Rolex winner, 24 hour winner. Right. I mean, he's, he's the real deal. And he was starting an online coaching company and he's like, I want the best bike coach that I can find. I want to pick you. And I'm like, great, I'm in. And I'd been doing cars already at that point because we cross train and we put, we've done cross training in cars for years. And Nick was really the one that kind of got me on that, that, that pathway. And of course cars were sort of my first love anyway. So it's like, okay, I'm in. And we started doing something, what we called slow car driving and slow car driving was we didn't want to get in trouble with the tracks. So we didn't want to be hauling ass on the tracks and getting in trouble. So we would go drive and we'd literally do 40 or 45 miles an hour around the track. And we'd work on reference points, initial brakes, work, identify end of braking, eye timing. I mean, we could do that. So we really worked on that with the car on the car side. As a matter of fact, just a quick story. I can remember doing that at Thunder Hill at one of the preseason tests with Bobier, and Bobier set the track record that day. So it slow car driving is what sort of started that. And then as I started having some clients that said, Hey, I'm going to get a track car. You're going to drive me in a car with me. And the reason that the cars transfer so well is on a bike. And this is why I don't believe in like communicate comms between riders, like coach and rider is because you're not sharing the same time and space. So you're not sharing the same feel reference. So in a car, you can sit right seat and you share the same time and space and you share the same time, uh, fuel reference. It one day in a car is equal to 10 days on a bike. Really? Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, so, I know in that, at that Miller week, three day school, it was raining and we spent a lot of time in one of the racetracks, like focuses. Or focuses. Something. Yeah. There's little piece of shit. Yeah, things, yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh cool. The brakes are on fire. Nice job. Right. Yeah. We got in trouble for that. I know. Yeah, I remember. I seem to I get, there. I seem to get in trouble with cars, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> So, so the car, so the, um, the, uh, the car thing really blossomed into some clients getting cars and doing more and more with it. Then I got involved with Dion and he, he heard how my approach and my methodology is to the sport and cars and bikes. I, I mean, this is a bold statement, but they're the same. All you're doing is trading lean angle for steering wheel angle. But I just did a, a Blaze seminar last night, and I did it with another one of our Blaze car coaches. This is a professional driver who runs LMPs, and he's I'm helping him with data. So there, there's it's the same. There's some differences, of course, but they're very, very minute. And up until you get to, I mean, literally some open wheel stuff, high end open wheel stuff, like or production stuff. GT stuff like is, is literally all the same. So it transfers over super easily. And 
I've been doing more car stuff. I got a track car finally. I could finally afford to get a track car. I got a track car. I did and, see uh, a kind of video of you spinning the thing out. Yeah, I did I was do like, that. What's going on there, buddy? I screwed up. A little greedy. Like, little greedy. Um, it, it it was it was one, but I will say huh. in in I've had one personal spin in my entire car driving career. One, so I'm good with that. And I've got a couple of like little track records in my car, so I'm happy with that. So, um, the car thing transfer transfers over incredibly well, and it's shocking how similar they are. Turn and rate is turn and rate. Brake release is brake release. Reference points are reference points. Eye timing is eye timing. Brake graph is brake graph. Doesn't matter. Direction is direction. Does not matter. So there's an answer to that question, I hope. Okay. I mean, that, I mean it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, what's, the, what's the coolest bike that you've gotten to take out? Or coolest car? Um, coolest cars is a Porsche GT3 RS, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's, I've driven a couple of nicer, like quote, nicer cars, but as far as a capable, capable track car, GT3 RS, there's no, there's just no substitute. Really? <laughs> they're, 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 they're beyond insane. They're so good. They're such lap dogs. They're just incredibly great car. So that's on that side. Um, on the bike side. I mean, you've ridden a um, lot of stuff. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I have. Um, I mean, it looks like you mostly ride stalkers, right? I mean, I've ridden a lot of. Yeah, I mean, stalker. There's a there's a good story why there's a good story actually in how I I evolved into riding stalkers and riding them pretty well. Um, but I would say coolest bikes. I don't know. Back in the day, I got to spend a bunch of time on Desmos Sedicis. Those were freaking cool as hell. Uh, and kind of an underrated bike to a degree. There's they had some issues with the front end, but they weren't they weren't that bad. But I don't know. I, I would say I'm I'm super blessed to ride a bunch of the Graves products. I spend a lot of time on the Graves bikes. I rode a Graves bike this weekend at Jennings, right? So right. I mean, I spend a lot of time on the Graves products. I give I I get to help out with a little bit of feedback with them. We get to try some stuff with them. And I can't they're just i'm blown away by the quality of their stuff and their products and how they do things um so i i don't know i would say i mean honestly the grave stuff is probably where it's at for me i I remember the like all the rick bikes were basically graves r6s right yeah we bought yeah we bought graves r6s yeah Yeah. we bought them we bought them and uh, i mean i saw like for instance we bought a graves r6 2018 um this is, uh, I don't know, many people know this story, but Hayden went out there on a bone stock Graves bike, right? We bought the Graves bike, and I think the only thing we did was change the fork springs. We didn't even change the gearing, did anything. And Hayden, this is 2018, and Hayden did a 43.9 on a 600. At Chuck Walla? At Chuck Walla. Okay. Yes. Wow. So that was, yeah, people talk about going quick at Chuck Walla. That was, uh, that was a good lap time. I mean, look, I, I, I actually had the opportunity to ride one of Richard's super bikes. Oh, my God. I was, dude, yeah, I'd I was, love that. I was I'd, so I'd be blessed at that. that. And, um, you know, I, I literally got 20, 20 laps on the thing. That's it. You know, like half, you know, not even 20 laps, maybe. Like half. I've read, I've read, yeah, the Rick guys had some X-World super bikes. I rode, um, I think I rode a Baz bike. No, uh, Smurts bike. I rode a Smurts bike. Okay. Another, I rode a Sykes, a Sykes ZX10. They were good. I, and actually, I went pretty well on them. But, um, Dude, I actually yeah, went, I, I, I was, you know, I will, I will say that I was like afraid of getting 
just destroyed by Stamboli. So there's some of that. But also the thing, the, the superbike made me feel like a, just a giant fat slug. I felt like I was <laughs> late to everything because the thing was just so good. It was so yeah, fast. Overwhelming. And the yeah, brakes were like insane. Like all my markers were like missing. Like I felt lost on the thing. So actually, I actually have gone faster on a stalker than I went on Richard's superbike. <laughs> yeah. The amount of force it takes for those to work well is crazy, right? So you go around, let's say a button wheel, right? You go around and do a 52 and you think the bike's broken. You think there's no way this thing works. Right. Then you do a 48 and you're like, this thing's, I, it won't turn. Well, it's not going to turn until you, you know, you get deep into the 40s on those things. That's right. just how it works. I mean, so. you know, and just just when you're saying that, you know, like recently Jake actually did a 40. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, the, the pointy in dudes are, they're doing like, you know, well, Jake's 40, right? And mm -hmm. everyone else, like the pointy in dudes are doing like 41s basically right now. So Incredible. Yeah, yeah. God. Oof. Yeah, and there's like a whole bunch of tests in the off season coming too. So, like it, I mean, who knows, right? I mean, the place is crazy. So, um, awesome. Anyway, all right. So, and then um, what? What? What's the track that would you you would say is like on your bucket list? Like you wish you could ride there. Hmm. Um. I mean, it would be some of the European tracks for sure. Um, I mean, probably Misano, Portimao. um, uh, Portimao. I've been there twice and I didn't get to ride it. And I, so I was just like, Duh! so Portimao was just absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, even Hareth, I mean, just any of those, any of those just wonderful European tracks, Brno, uh, Brno, I've been to Brno and, and also the same thing. It's just like, oh, so any of those classic Grand Prix tracks, I, I would, I'd be all over that. All right, so Brian Keith um, asks, uh, he says that you frequently talk about the, quote, pointy end of the stick when it comes to techniques and application by the best in the sport. Mm -hmm. We've seen that pointy end and techniques change over each decade, it seemed. You know, what are some of the new techniques that you see top riders experimenting with? And are these like evolutions as a result of technology advancements or something else? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, they're they're obviously figuring things out um, a little bit, a little bit more, and uh, you know, Grand Prix things are. I mean, kind of. We, so just to let's let's start with one of the reasons that I went to go work with Freddie when I took schools for Freddie because I paid to go to school for Freddie in the beginning was he was a world champion. And that always intrigued me. Like, I want to do what the best are doing because he, I mean, he obviously won a world championship, three world championships. And so that was sort of always my point of reference. So when we talk about um, we're going to have methodology and techniques of what the best in the world do, it's because, again, it's very simple, right? If there's a better way that we do it. But more importantly, this is the part that everybody has to remember, is what they're doing is dynamic. It changes. So we're constantly studying what they're doing and asking what they're doing because we don't want to have a fixed mindset. We want to be able to go, well, wait a minute. What, what, what are they doing better and, and why are they doing it? So that's why we want to do what the best in the world are doing, whether it's, it's MotoGP, World Superbike, or, or Moto America. So I think 
what we're seeing is that the, the technology, of course, is, is getting better. The electronics is, is, is where everything's happening. But I think the big thing that we're seeing is um, on braking, right? They're braking. Overall, they're just braking so much harder. So first of all, they got more speed coming in because bikes are faster. And now they're, they're, they're trying to obviously brake as late as they can without ruining their exit. Because that's where a lot of the time is, right? The time delta between Excel and Decel is huge. So if you can hold acceleration for another tenth or two, I mean, think about, I mean, think about what that is. It's massive. So a lot of the changes that we're seeing is that we're braking a lot harder. Look at, look at what happened to World Superbike the last three years. Crazy, yeah, right? Top rack, 22 bar at some tracks, right? Yeah, I mean, it just, just, I mean, that punched everybody in the face. Just like in MotoGP, of course, we're seeing it, and we had to have a whole other level when they switched tires, a whole other, you know, deal of how they're, how they're adjusting to the different, the Michelin front. And, you know, they can't break as hard, supposedly, with the Michelin front. But, of course, they've blown that out of the water now uh, just because development has gotten so good. And so I think the biggest, the biggest thing that we're seeing is, is the technology on the entries or just or seeing the riding on the entries. We're braking harder, and we're able to hold the acceleration but not still ruin the exit. So I think we see a lot there. Um, we're still seeing some advances in the middle of the corner. Oh, actually, actually, let me back up. We're actually seeing riders being more upright, upright in the middle of the corner. So if you watch Marquez, like going in, you know, you're like, oh, Marquez drags his elbow. Yeah, but if you look at where he's at until brake release, he's actually very straight up because he's trying to hold the bike up to maximize the contact patch. So I think we've seen some changes on the first, say, third of the corner. I'll just use that as kind of a, a generality. The first third of the corner where they're more stood up so they can use more contact patch. And then there's a very deliberate drop with their upper bodies over and again, Johnny Ray's a great example. Look at Johnny Ray's body position from two years ago because he realized, yeah, I can use the brakes, but I'm getting crushed in the middle of the corner. So he's even adapted things like that. So the exits haven't changed a whole bunch. I think that's more of sort of technology. But I think on the entry, that straight up and down braking and that first third of the entry is where we've seen a lot of, a lot of change in development. And even look at Jake. Jake, you know, Jake, I mean, the bottom line is I think Jake needs to brake harder. Well, clearly I mean, we found that at on the data I, report about. No, right? we, we no, we saw. I mean, I saw that at Moto America. He, I mean, he obviously can break very well. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that if I were looking for an improvement with him, I, I mean, obviously he gets great exits, but I think there's improvement on the entry with him. And when we saw that, really was when Petrucci came because Petrucci right. was crushing him on the. Well, brakes. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, that data was showing that you know, and some of the other podcaster dudes were kind of talking about the attack bike not having the top speed but the reality was it did have the top speed but jake was going to the brakes before the yeah 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 you know yeah before the t before the speed track because yeah. it's down there so far yeah. yeah so i mean that's uh you know this kind of goes into another question uh i'm gonna uh give props to zach harrington but i'm gonna like add zach's to, a good dude he is he's a good dude yeah. I, I helped him, like, he's lost a finger or something one time, and I helped him load his crap. Super nice guy, though. And, you know, I see him and kind of talk shit to him every time I can just because he's super fun. And, you know, that dude rides a ton, too. He's like yep. mini bikes and all that. Super moto, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Zach, and I'm, I'm going to, like, add to this. So, um, he's, like, waiting the bike. Like, when, when should you be giving 
input and supporting yourself with your legs, feet, when you should be giving uh, inputs and supporting yourself with your arms and hands. Okay. And I'm going to add to that, like, what, what do I, what the fuck do I do with my feet? Right. Because <laughs> like, you know, there's a bunch of schools of thought out there where, you know, that people are saying that you steer the bike with your feet and stuff. And I kind of think that's bullshit, but, um, take it away. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. God, first of all, yeah, we might as well reset the clock back to like freaking zero here because we're going to be freaking talking about this all night. Holy shit. Let me get a power bar. So, wow. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll try to make it I mean, it this simple. will take as long as it takes, right? I mean, like. I'm going to try to make it simple. Okay. So everybody's like, dude, dude, I counter steer. Uh, no, I body steer, right? It's like, oh, these whole camps, either you're in this camp or you're in this camp. And it's like, what the hell? So the way that I try to explain it in a very um, rudimentary way is the the bike the bike to turn, the bike to turn, basically we're changing the center of gravity of the bike, right? So we, we've got it, we, we, to turn the bike, it's, the center of gravity has got to change and the steering head has to move to make that happen. So regardless of the wheel goes left or right, the wheel goes one way, right? The weight, the weight's going to go basically to the inside, center of gravity changes. That very simple, right? Yeah. So you can, you can counter steer, right? You can, whatever it is, push whatever way to, right? So you can, you can push on the bar. And that moves the steering head, which moves the center of gravity. Make sense? Yeah. Great. Okay. So there's counter steering. Body steering. So so counter steering and body steering, they're the same thing. Here's why. Think about it. If you're light on the bars, so light on the bars, and, and your weight goes to the inside of the bike, you'll watch your steering head move. It'll Because you're, you're moving your mass to the inside, and the steering head's going to move. So it's essentially you're doing this. They're both doing the same things. You're just going about them slightly differently. Well, I mean, I think there's uh, there's the no BS bike shit, right? So like I have actually got the opportunity to ride that thing like a million years ago um, at Streets of Willow on the skid pad. And um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, <laughs> like you, yeah, they had a throttle and shit on like a, a non-movable handlebar on the bike. And, you know, you try to try to steer the bike with your body and the thing would not steer at all, you know? So I think, so I think, I think what's I happening think is like, am I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what's happening is when you move your body over there, you're kind of naturally pressing on that bar. Well, let's talk you're, about that. Right. Yeah. You've got to be, you've got to differentiate between bar input and bar pressure, right? Okay. You've got to, you're, you got to hold yourself up on the dang thing. So is, are there going to be a combination of both those for sure? But if that if it was all quote counter steering, then why in MotoGP would they go into a ninety degree corner, for instance? Why wouldn't they just be sitting up straight and turn in, right? I mean, no, they're hanging off. They're using their upper body to go into the corner. That's what they're doing. There's going to be problem. There's going to be some you know bar input, but they're more they're they're more consciously doing it with their their upper body mass is essentially taking care of it. So. That's sort of a generalities, and we could we could get into the weeds on that, but we really don't need to get into the weeds on that. It's that's like a whole two hour podcast alone. Yeah, right? I mean, it's <laughs> let's just let's just try to make it very simple, right? Which is they're both doing the same thing. The steering head has to move. The way that I explain it is, if it's a corner that you're using the brakes for, you're going to more body steer for, right? So, right, you sit up on the brakes, and then you're going to lean into the corner. You relax your inside arm. Steering head moves. Your mass takes care of it. Pretty simple. 
corners that you're using more of the throttle through, you're not using the brakes to transfer weight, uh, you're going to use more of a bar input. Like, for, I mean, the S is a button whittle. I mean, come on, right? You got to use bar input. That's just, that's the reality of it. Right. And you're going to time it with some body movement as well, but you don't have the brakes to help you with that, right? So you're, that's how I look at it. We'll just, again, we're going to umbrella it and make it simple. So, so how do your feet come into play? Your feet are what holds you, basically are holding your foundation on the bike. So your feet are incredibly important. And how your, even how your foot is placed, how your ankle is up, is that's what's engaging your core. So a lot of people, for instance, who've got too much weight on their inside arm, it's because of their inside foot because their inside foot's not supporting them or they're not sitting in the right place on the motorcycle ergonomically. So your, your inside foot plays a massive part in engaging your core. So when you said like steering with your feet, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not into that. The feet, the feet thing is what your foot placement though, is what allows you to engage your core. Same thing with your outside thigh, right? Your outside thigh is a major player in how it connects to the gas tank and how it supports you. So we've got some report cards that we build that, that tell you where, whether you're placed correctly on the bike or not. But yeah, your outside thigh in the tank, your inside foot, that's, those are, are huge. Your feet, your inside foot has a specific placement for sure. Your outside foot, I don't really care. It's just how your thighs, how your thighs attached to the, to the tank. So that's the, that's the 30 second version. Okay. Okay. Well, you know what, based on that, I'm going to transition back to new riders at the track day, right? Um, yep. You know, we, we do these new rider classes, basically every track day, everybody in the C group gets the opportunity to do that. You know, we kind of, we kind of give them some instruction and coaching. We offer them two up rides, that kind of stuff. And one of the biggest things I see new riders focus all their energy, like, you know, you talk about your hundred points or whatever you want to call it. They yep. spend, they spend 99 of that on body position. And it, you know, it's like, and, and then I'll add to that, you know, you actually also see a lot of you, the term for it, I guess, online is tweezer grip because they're trying to drag elbow too. Um, so, you know, and I try to talk to them about like body positions, not even in the top five of the most important things. So like, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think. Cause you have like a list of shit. That's like, before I do that. Right. I do. Yeah. And this is again, my, where my fundamentals were created were basically from working with thousands and thousands of riders of what organically worked and what didn't work. And I mean, that's just, that's just the reality of it. So I think we have to look at what are fundamental techniques and separate those from incremental techniques. <laughs> so here's a guy that's working on body position. This is an incremental improvement, but yet he's missing every apex, doesn't use his brakes, right? So the joke is, you know, the joke is, yeah, he's got great body position, but he's braking 250 feet too early. So yeah, I mean, the fundamentals that we've developed is number one is bike placement, right? Which is you gotta have the bike in the right place at the right time. Everything we do, is to get the bike in the right place to accelerate. That, I mean, that's that's it. I mean, look at Richard. Richard, the only thing Richard talks about, I'm sure, for the most part, is when can we be accelerating? When can we be accelerating? That's, that's what they're looking for. 
So having the bike in the position to accelerate is the number one fundamental because that's what we're trying to accomplish. Second one is our vision and our focus. Vision and focus run hand in hand. So if your vision is engaged, your focus is engaged. So we work on our eyes. <laughs> Taking notes. Wait, so our vision and focus. And our vision and focus is our eyes. And that has to do with, that has to do with reference points. That has to do with eye timing. All those different things, how long you look at a reference point, how you break the track down into segments are all done in vision and focus. That was a huge part of uh, J.D. Beach's success was learning, literally learning how to use his eyes. Literally learning. He didn't know. Same thing. Gerloff was another one where we had to get him to, to, to learn how to use his eyes and build segments. How long you look at a reference point, all those different things. Super important. Third fundamental is your motor controls. Because what we're trying to do ultimately is tie your vision to your motor controls. That's what your depth perception is all about. So vision and focus, and then we've got motor controls. That includes all the physical input you put onto the bike. Fourth one is our brake adjustability. So how you're in a position to use the brakes for every different circumstance. It's, yeah, it's, it's huge. But, of course, we have to have motor controls before we have brake adjustability. So you see, see how this works? So do you have, like, drills that you help? Of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, I of do. course we do. Look at that. Of, of course. course. Yeah. So then the fifth fundamental is turn in rate and turn in point. Um, so a lot of things we work on turn in rate and turn in point become a really big thing because the faster you go, you've got to alter your turn in rates, your turn in points and your turn in rates. And that's something that is, is a huge thing. The last fundamental. Ready? Body position, body timing. Wow. So it's like way isn't, down on the list, man. It is. It's so all it's in the important. top five, just like I've said. So, I mean, is it, is it important? Of course it's important, but in the scale of everything that we're trying to work on, it's, it's last on the list. Wow. So, yeah. So yeah, those are things that, that I work on. Of course, when I went back and talked about those motopilot guides, it's all built around these fundamentals and each one of these has 75 different categories. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You asked. Yeah, I did. I did. So, you know, I, I, I got a lot of comments um, rolling in about your podcast. So you want to talk a little bit about that, dude? Yeah, the podcast. Well, first of all, I appreciate the people that have listened to the podcast. I, 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 I very much appreciate it. And the podcast started off, it's actually quite a while ago. I think I started the podcast in 15, back when podcasting wasn't a big deal. And the podcast started in our off world because, anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. The podcast started off because I heard something from a major um, uh, motorcycle writer. He, he was writing something and it was wrong. And I'm like, you, you, that's wrong. You, you can't, you, that's not right. And I'm like, I got to tell somebody. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to tell somebody and I'm going to freaking do this. I'm going to just do this podcast. And it kind of, morphed into that. And so when I started doing the podcast, again, this is one of the nice things about having an advisory board. The podcasts are very deliberate and they, the timing. So this goes actually back to my, my, my Yale professor contact who hooked me up with somebody and hit one of their psychology departments. And the podcasts were designed to be around 12 to 20 minutes because that's about the most that you can really pay attention to in a subject like this. And also repeat them. So, and it also, 
for me, it also helped me have to distill my, my message. So if you look at my podcasts, they're all very short, so you can repeat them, but they're, they're very difficult to do. Um, obviously, I don't have sponsors. I don't get paid to do them. Uh, I mean, I have, I think on all the platforms I have, get this, I have 1.2 million listens. That's 1.2 million. That's nuts, dude. And you don't have a sponsor you know for money, that thing? You know how much money I've made? Donuts. In six years. <laughs> Six, six years, I've made 6,500 bucks. Oh. I mean, I'll, I'll be, yeah. yeah. So that's donations and everything, which thank you for everybody for the donation. So it, I do appreciate it. So yeah, I've made, I've made a little bit of money on them in six years. So you kind of amortize it out. It's like a tenth of a penny per listener, probably less than that. I don't know. But, you know, I realized that this message needs to be out there, right? People have to understand that, there, that yes, there is a way to improve. And part of the problem, and Dustin, dude, you know this, there's no consensus in our sport. There's no consensus of, what people, of what's right or what's wrong. And so I'm hoping by having these and doing them that people understand based on where I'm at in the industry that there is a way that you can improve and do it correctly. And that's what motivates me to do the podcast. I mean, they're, I mean I just, I, they're, it takes me probably, it depends on the topic. Um, I mean, they typically start off with 20 or 30 pages of notes, and then they get, I have to condense them down. Typically nine to uh, nine to 12 pages equals about 20 to 25 minutes of a podcast, but it takes me a long time to write and rewrite those things. So they, they take a really long time to do them. Um, but yeah, they're great. They're great messaging. And, um, I mean, I'm going to continue to do them. I'm I'm only going to, I'm not, again, I'm not beholden to a sponsor. I can say what I want. Um, I can put out as many as I want and I'll put out something when I have something to say. So if I have something relevant that I've been working on, I'll do it and launch it, but I'm not doing it just to sit here and flap my gums. Wow. So, yeah, there's people saying, come to the dark side, Dustin, join Ken. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. Well, you could, you too can spend a lot of time making no money doing it. Oh yeah, I'm kind of doing that, you know. Like I looked at the list of of these stupid YouTube things I've done, and there's a lot of them. And we, donut. <laughs> yep. But I will say this: like going to the races and stuff uh, all over the country, and even in Portugal, people came up and were like, "Hey, you're that guy from that YouTube thing." And I'm like, "Dude, you actually watch this shit?" Yeah. So, like it's kind of neat. I, it's it is neat. cool. Yeah, I, I, it is. It is cool, and um, I mean, if if we can make a positive difference, then yeah. I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, that's the, that's what it's you about. know. You know me, dude. Like, I'm a grassroots guy. Like, I'm a club racer advocate. I, you know, pe- bring people off the street, get them going, steer them towards club racing, rinse and repeat. Right? Like, that's yep. my world. I'm not a national guy. I'm not a world guy. Like, I have no aspirations of being that. I'm perfectly satisfied being the club dude and now like i'm one of the co-owners of cra which is kind of neat you know we did bring club racing back to laguna first time in like 40 years is amazing amazing um, yeah right you know um so and i'm perfectly okay with that but the thing is you know you you've got to continuously make up new ways to bring a positive light to our sport you know because i mean there's there's a lot of factors going on and people are kind of getting steered away from it sometimes. And, you know, to kind of wrangle everybody in, 
you just got to keep going that route, you know? So. Yeah, it's, it's not, I mean, this is not a, I mean, quite honestly, this is not a super glamorous deal. Um, I mean, <laughs> no it, shit. I mean yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, back in the heyday of me doing one-on-ones, I think, so like, I'm trying to think of the years. So this would be like 2004 through about, yeah, I mean, almost 10 years, almost 10 years. I was doing over a hundred days a year at the track. And I think my, the, I think the most I did 130 days a year at the track, 130 days. So every three so, days you were at the track. Yeah. So think about, <laughs> if I'm, but think about your time at risk. Yeah. Right. So think about your time at risk and, and you know, you're working with people. I mean, my Rick days, I mean, when you work with a JD beach, you work with Hayden, you realize somebody has to film them. Right. <laughs> right? So, I mean, the amount of time at risk that I had having to, you know, obviously haul ass is, is very high and knock on wood. I've been, I've been, you know, not, not having issues, not too many issues there. So this, this, as you well know, where there's, I mean, there's no money in this, right? I'm lucky that, and I'm, I'm fairly transparent about it. I'm lucky I put Last year's, I was able to put my kids through school. I paid for their college and I paid my mortgage. I have no money. I have zero, but I've been able to do those things and have a fantastic life riding motorcycles, getting paid to ride motorcycles and getting paid to drive cars. Does not suck. But, you know, I, I think, I think that you, at some point you have to look at it and say, well, yeah, you're, it, it's the lifestyle, right? Being able to to learn. And, and that's where I've looked at it is I'm, I'm completely enthralled with the process of learning. I'm enthralled with improving. My goal is to be the best. I'll never be the best, but my goal is to, to be the best. The more I know, like for instance, when I was at Jennings this weekend, I walked away with three pages of notes that I learned on things that I, in matter of fact, they'll end up being a podcast. Probably it was such a breakthrough on me on some things that I mean, I'm constantly, the more I know, the less I know. I, so, I did see that video of you bullying that guy on the V4 yeah, on awesome. the Ninja 400. Dude, so yeah, and, CJ. And worked, Canfield so called CJ, you out on it too, which is hilarious. Yeah, it was great. So but, you know, how can you not? Yeah, I was really lucky. So CJ bought a, uh, so my, so the guy that I work for the most is CJ LaRoche. And CJ is who I spent the last couple of years at Motor America. And he's just, he's a dream client. Um, he's one of the hardest working, most driven people I've ever, I've ever met. Um, he says, Ken, what do I have to do? I say, you have to go do this. He goes, done. I'm doing it. I mean, he just, he just follows it. And he's gone. When I started working with him at the end of 2020, he wasn't qualifying for Moto America, right? So he wasn't qualifying for 600s. And now we're able to run in the top 10. So top 10, 600 super sport, right? That's just, it's a knife fight. So He's a, he's a great client to work with. So he bought a, um, a, somebody else was selling a Graves Ninja 400. So CJ bought it. And so I had it down there and it is, yeah, it's like, if, it's like my new favorite bike. It's, it, you can bully, you can bully. It's, it's exactly what somebody said in one of the Facebook things. It's like, it's great when people come up and you say, wow, that's a good running 600. Yeah. It's little, a little baby 400. So very fun. Right on. So, you know what, let's kind of talk a little bit of trash right now. Um, you know, at the, oh, at the first school that I did with you, um, I, I was the code bitch basically. And, um, you would leave the truck in gear and get out and set up the cones. I'm in the passenger seat. Like, what the fuck is this guy doing? 
So, like, tell me a little bit about your. Um, somebody said that you're banned from rental car company or something. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, the car thing. <sighs> so yeah, I mean, the, we always had fun in cars, right? Because we got to keep it. We got to keep it fun. And so we would do definitely do dumb things, and I mean, you, you know the whole van ride things, right? Yeah. You've been on the van I've been rides. Been on the van ride with you, with Nick, the van with rides Paris. were basically me. And, yeah, the van rides were either basically Mick, me and Nick racing, or me and Chris racing, or whatever on the vans. And uh, yeah, I mean, they were they were they were pretty fun. You know, we've probably destroyed a few sets of brake pads and those things. And the rental car thing that is that is true. I cannot rent from uh, actually three three rental car companies. Really? Yeah. Yep. That is that is a true story. Uh, we had a rental car uh, out at. Uh, <laughs> we had a rental car. It's a true story. Um, so yeah, we were at High Plains Raceway, and we had rented a basically a brand new. It was it had a thousand miles on it. I think it was a Mercedes C C three hundred or something like that. I got some upgrade. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. And um, I'm not going to go into total specifics, but yes, it got, it, it was driven and driven hard and I was not driving it. And um, there was a little bit of an issue with the engine and uh, it's, it stopped turning and uh, anyway, yeah, so it got turned in and um, long story short is I went to go rent a car about two weeks later from the same company and I was told that uh, I was not welcome uh, to rent cars from them or two of their other subsidiaries anymore. Well, uh, look yeah. at that. Um, yep. I mean, I think, I think you told me a story about, um, I think it was a van. Where you actually had to go to like AutoZone and like get brake. Yeah, no, we've, so that's actually happened twice now. So we've actually we've actually had cars. I won't say where we got the cars, but we've had cars that uh, during the course of using those cars, we found that the brake pads were worn out. So we didn't want to, you know, we wanted to be a good a good um, uh, a good person uh, using these cars. So yes, we replaced the brake pads for the companies just because we're good people. Oh, yeah. nice. We've had we've actually had to we've actually had to replace brake pads uh, on site. Yeah, true story. Good times. Have you ever because you're you're pretty good at it? Have you ever considered um, adding like a wheelie school to your program? No, I mean we actually did. So I've done some dirt schools. I may actually start the dirt schools back up because they're super fun. Um, they're just a blast to do. So we did some wheelie stuff in some of the dirt schools, but not on the not on the bikes. I'm too, I mean, I'm too like anal retentive to, to like, that's, that's like on a list of a hundred things, the wheelie thing's like 99, even though I know everybody thinks it's pretty cool, but, and it is cool, but, um, it took me a long time to figure that out too. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I could do it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I did, uh, I did the on one wheel school like a million years ago. Um, those guys that ran it after Keith Code owned it, um, they bought it from him or something. Um, these stunt rider dudes, and um, you know, I went out and took that thing. It was like with those uh, Triumph T five ninety fives or whatever, yep. and it had that big old wheelie bar thing on the back with the apparatus that would drag the rear brake, and then the other side would actually cut a cylinder, um, so you could like turn this wheel and set the wheelie height max, you know. And, um, man, by the end of that, by the end of the first 
the, like end of the day, I, I was doing wheelies down the Pomona drag strip both ways. <laughs> right. And like, but like the, the apparatus shit was in the way of the shift lever. So it was really hard to grab a shift to upshift while you were in the wheelie. But ever since then, I mean, the, I guess the FZ 10 would probably be the factory stunt bike that. Yeah. F, FC one's FC one is still probably the best wheelie bike that I've ever, I've ever had the pleasure of using fc10 is pretty good too i got pretty good fc10s uh wheelies as well so yeah yeah wheelie school yeah maybe yeah no we'll no? see okay no, no probably not all right all right no i'll that... leave that i'll leave that up to, i'll leave that up to your deal no dude it's not happening we live in <laughs> california man yeah you know okay so and then um there's a bunch of people asking about this so like how do you recommend um somebody mentally recover um post crash like how you crash you hurt yourself you end up in the hospital we've all done it you had your surgery you, you rebuild your bike you come back how do you like not be slow yeah so it, i actually have a i actually have a good podcast on this oh, God damn it. it's one of my most listened to ones as, as well um so you basically have to separate your emotions from your technique and you realize that, okay, I fell down. So it, the, the best thing you can do is realize, okay, why did I fall down? And most of the times you understand why you fell down. And it, whether it's you did something, whether somebody took you out or maybe you had a mechanical, right? Understand why you, you fell down. And it's basically trying to figure out, okay, I fell down. Let's say you low-sided. I'm just, cause that's, that's a common one, right? A low-sided. Great. So why did I low side? I low sided because um, my my I didn't change my front tire. I low sided because um, I picked up the throttle too much, tried to add lean angle, and I underloaded the front tire. Whatever it is. So identify what you you why you crashed, and it sounds silly. Just don't do it again. Meaning, meaning, take technique technical steps to not do that. So I don't want to fall down, right? I I'm not I'm not afraid to fall down. I don't want to fall down, so I'm not going to let falling down be part of my deal. I know I don't want to fall down, but I'm not going to ride saying, well, I don't know. Yeah. Instead, I'm going to double down on my technique. So I'm going to make sure I use really good straight up and down brake pressure. I'm going to make sure my slow point is deliberate as possible. I'm going to make sure I'm taking away lean angle. I'm going to make sure the weight is off my inside arm at turn in, whatever the things are. So I'm going to be technical about it. And that gets rid of the emotion. And a couple things that I've seen that has made a big difference for people coming back is spend some time with parking lot drills, getting used to your front brake. That your front brake is your best friend on the motorcycle. So if you spend some time getting used to your front brake again, you're going to feel way more confident in, in your on track skills. Like in other words, you've got something that'll get you out of trouble. So that's, that's a great one. The other one is, is writing down what your plan is, writing it down, not just telling yourself, writing it down, holding yourself personally accountable for it. Um, there's, I mean, there's a tons of different ways, but the bottom line is separate the emotional from the technical. And I think that's, that's the big one that, so can I sidebar her sidebar for a real quick second? Do tell. Great. So I've done, um, one of the things that I like to do that's, it's one of the things that I want to end up doing is I've done some keynote speaker talks and they're kind of fun to do. They're actually very hard to do. So I did this keynote speaker talk kind of thing for this group at Nike a few years ago. 
And and but it was like a little small dude. You group have like such random shit that you do. Like it's so yeah. crazy. Anyway, so I'm doing this story and I'm doing this 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 keynote speaker talk, and it's it has to do with like processes and procedures. Like basically, what are the best in the world doing on motorcycles that can equate to what they're doing? And so there were there was this one thing, or, or the lady that was putting it on. Their their thing of the day was their their or their slogan of the month was a hundred and ten percent every damn day, and so she goes, well, what do you think of that? And I said, well, I think it's bullshit. And she's like, what? you know, you what? You I said, look, there's only a hundred percent available, so the goal is to continue to raise your hundred percent. So you want to make your hundred percent higher and higher and be able to, to sustain it longer. That's our goal. So I said, you know, anytime that you're pushing over 100%, the problem is, is that when you push past 100%, you fall back way below your 100%. And she goes, well, you're telling me that Michael Phelps, you know, doesn't give 110%. And I said, look, what's happening is emotion is what emotion is what got Michael Phelps to get to the pool at five in the morning, <laughs> you know. Emotion is what got him to, to emotion leads him to his technique. Emotion was not his technique. His technique was his technique. So it, to help you with the crashing situation, it's separate your emotion from your technique. Yeah. And that's the key. Yeah. And if you have a plan written out and you feel good about your motorcycle, you feel good about your front brake, you're, you're going to do just fine. Yeah. I mean that, you know, speaking from experience right like I've, yeah when i saw you you weren't putting any force into the bike yeah. so what do you do you turn in too early because you're scared yeah so what's better is if, okay how about i use more front brake right yeah. use brake turn in appropriately and you're like oh yeah that's no big well deal. i mean I, I came back recently right I, I rode my r1 for the first time at thanksgiving weekend and um i mean i went in i i knew i had a plan i was going to go out find marks again find direction and then go third session out on the thing i was already on like almost at race pace and i was yep. like shit man this is okay and some of the guys were like dude how the fuck do you go through that same corner where you stacked it over 100 miles an hour a couple months ago how do you go through that same corner and not feel something and i'm like well because i i know what i did wrong there you know like i'm not gonna yeah. do that again i mean i basically yeah. got kind of I got, I mean, just to kind of like elaborate on it, I kind of got, I was behind Gogo on the first lap of a race. I had quite a bit of roll speed on him going through Riverside and it looked like he was just came up, like it looked like he shut off and I, I was already knee down committed. I had nowhere to go and I rolled out of it and it tucked the front at a high rate of speed and right. So eh, there's a little bit of, um, there's a little bit of that in my head still, but um, for sure, yeah, I mean, there's going to be sure. But again, if you've got, I know exactly it, what happened, yeah. and I, you know, I, that's not you got a plan for it. Yeah, then yeah, just just mitigate mitigate for that plan. Yeah. So yeah. So okay, and uh, you know, this is running a little bit long, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give um, Alejandro. Are we? Holy yeah, crap. we're about two hours, dude. <laughs> I told you, man. Like, I'm gonna let you go. Um, you know, it's it's been great. Um, and I promised him I would ask this, even though it's stupid. Um, are you a um, are you a squeeze it from the top kind of guy with the toothpaste, or in the middle? So Alejandro. So, uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, 
So the, the answer is both. The answer is both. It, so it, it squeezed from the middle, right? And then, you know, I'll squeeze it from the bottom to run it back up. So the answer is both. Okay. Well, Ken, you know what, man? It's been fun, dude. And now I'm like, now I'm like, shit, dude. Like, how much do I got to pay to have you come out and fucking work with me, dude? Like, yeah. So, I mean, there's, well, there's some, there's some cool things coming on, coming online. So I can't work with everybody. It'd be great. I would love to, I would love to work with everybody. Um, that'd be great. So you will see my MotoPilot program going to be going online. We're going to actually have an online masterclass. That's going to be next year. We're developing that now. There actually is going to be a certification. So you can be like a Ken Hill Moto Pilot certified instructor. That's going to come from this program as well. So you'll see some online stuff that's going to happen as well. And yeah, Dustin, we should talk. I'm, I, I'm happy I'll to come out. I'll send you and, videos, uh, dude. Like you don't got time to go bug me a button. Like I'll, I'll send you yeah, videos. Yeah, so – I will. Hey, so I will. I got to plug the blaze program. The blaze program is awesome where people can send in videos. Like, like, you know, you're talking about your day rate, my day rate, my day rates a lot, right? You got to pay me a lot of money to come work with you. And the blaze program is you literally can send a video into the blaze format. And for whatever it is, 99 bucks, 129 bucks, you get me or a couple of the other guys that will review your video. It's, I mean, it's, it's the deal of the century on, on coaching. So yeah, it's a great program, so they can look up. I think that's like, I, I think that's a good program for like all those club racer dudes that are starting dude, out. It's, you know? it's I don't I don't know why more people aren't doing it. It's nuts. It's so inexpensive, and you get like I said, you I'm gonna look at your video, or you know one of that one of my trained guys is gonna look at your video and give you a full you know download on what you need to work on. It's crazy cheap. So, I mean, anyway. and, and it works, you know, I mean, Ludwig LGB and I were at podium club like a month ago and, yeah. uh, you know, obviously that's not our track. Right. And, uh, what people didn't realize and, you know, a couple sessions in, we were smoking everybody. Right. But yeah. literally every time oh we, God, every yeah. time we came off the bikes, we were in the motorhome looking at our video, like, okay, bro, yeah. like you need to like wait a little bit later before you tip in right here. You need to take away lean angle here. You know what? Uh, hold the brake lever a little bit longer over here. And then dude, we'd go out and do that and be instantly faster. So, um, it's, it's weird when you actually apply this stuff, yeah, isn't, isn't it? something like, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, Ken, you know what, man, thank you for joining me for this. Thanks, this Stephanie. is super yeah. fun, dude. Like yeah, you have so it. much stuff to say. Like we could do another two hours easy. Oh <laughs> Not yeah. I got, I, yeah. I got, yeah. You're Lily's going to kick your ass already. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I'm already getting text messages from her. <laughs> she's probably running yeah. out of notepad right now because she's probably over there taking notes right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll do another one for sure. We can pick up more topics. But uh, yeah, hey, Dustin, always uh, always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I always got a lot to say. So hey, awesome. you know, it's been fun, man. Thanks again. And uh, yep. until next time. Sounds good. Thanks. All right, buddy. All right. See ya. See you, man. All right.